He's a killing Missouri. I'm Reggie Bailey, where books are pop culture. Killing. Yeah. How you doing, so, brother? Hey, man, I'm making it, man. I'm a, a few hours out from the birthday. Uh, I am super excited uh, to get older, and I have a cigar with my name on it tomorrow, man. So I'm I'm super excited. How how the hell are you, man? You doing good, man? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a wonderful day, brother. I I I can't complain. I, I could think of BAPC weekend, of course. You no, know, I could think of a lot of a lot of places that a lot of other places I'd rather not be, but I'm here doing BAPC weekend, so it's amazing, man. Um let, let's 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 greet the people, man. Thank you to the fellowship, first and last time listeners, first and last time viewers, everyone in between. All of you are appreciated because you could be anywhere in the world, but right now you're here with us. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe, leave a like, comment, share that you're watching, turn on post notifications so you can always know when we drop something new. If you're listening on your favorite audio app, follow us, subscribe to us, leave a review, share that you're listening to BAPC, turn on post notifications so you'll always know when we drop something new. Um, Speaking of, we, you know, the first people who I greeted was the fellowship, right? And I have to because... The fellowship is Books of Pop Culture's amazing Patreon community. It's a community that Achille and I biasly and objectively believe is the best in bookish communities. You can join at www.patreon.com slash books of pop culture. By pledging $5 a month, you support two of the best up-and-coming creators in the bookish landscape, and you get access to bonus and exclusive content such as the visual and audio of our conversations on celebrations of the reluctance to black history month or our conversation on professional leadership slash literary citizenship you will receive insights into why we choose our books of the month slash read with bapc picks and you'll also be able to provide feedback on new ideas and initiatives before we go live with them and speaking of read with bapc picks march 27th we'll be reading Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments by Sadia Hartman. Once again, March 27th, 2022. Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments by Sadia Hartman. April 24th, 2022. We got The Trees by Percival Everett. So once again, April 24th, 2022. The Trees by Percival Everett. Feel free to purchase these books from our bookshop which you can find at bookshop.org slash shop slash books of pop culture. If you do that, then we get a small commission and then also uh, we get a vote of support from you. So we're always grateful for that. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at books of pop culture. We tend to provide updates there. We also tend to provide short clips of, you know, what we just potted about, what we maybe talked about over on Patreon or anything else we want to provide a short clip on. Um, and if you forgot everything I said, you can always rewind the video, right? Or you can go to booksofpopculture.com because that's where you can find the who's, the what's, the wins, the where's, and the why's of Books of Pop Culture as well. Did I miss out on anything just now, Kelly? I think you hit it all, brother. I think you did the darn thing, man. You did the darn thing. If you say it, I believe you, brother. So... <laughs> Let's uh let's get to it. As y'all know, we have we have a guest coming on and we we're not going to keep y'all waiting, right? So this guest is a writer, a critic, a humorist, 
a satirist and a professional black person. Professional. I guess writes, writes about the angst, anxieties, and absurdities of American life, specifically culture, class, money, and race. He is a contributing columnist at the Washington Post. He is a contributing opinion writer for the New York Times, a columnist for GQ, and has written for the Atlantic, Esquire, New York Mag, The Undefeated, Ebony, and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He's mm. the creator also of a podcast forthcoming with Crooked Media. His writing, which vacillates from anthropological satire and absurdist racial insights to razor-sharp razor cultural critique and unflinching indictments of privilege and bias, has often generated praise from his peers. Ava DuVernay called his voice clear and critical. Dr. Michael Eric Dyson said he's one of the most important young voices in human writing today. Kiese Lehman, friend of the show. Come on said now. Said his work is the best of American 21st century writing. This uh this this person who you're now going to learn, right? His debut memoir is called What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker. It's a tragic comic exploration of the angst, anxieties, and absurdities of existing while black in America. NPR called it an outstanding collection of nonfiction. The Washington Post calls it hilarious and unflinching. He's also the co-founder of Very Smart Brothers. Yes, this yes. Is a really, a uh, really dope moment. We're gonna bring the man of the hour to the stage, Mr. Damon Young. It is, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Hey, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here too. Thank you, thank you, thank you for, yes. for that introduction. That was a little long, but you know, but we good. Um, I could I could have y'all should have warned me. I could have did some push-ups. I could have ran some laps around my house doing that whole intro. Like you, you oh, did, the, you did like the bulk jacket bio, not like the short. Yeah, not like the short. You know, panel. Or, no, you did like the the panel pamphlet. Bio, not not the not the on stage about to be introduced. I, I, did, bio. I, I went to your website. <laughs> so, that, that, was, that was your first mistake because I haven't been there in like a year. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been there in like like a, a, at least a year. I need to update it. Like I I need I need to update that website. Yeah, I haven't been. I, I seriously I haven't been there in a minute. Oh man, no, that is hilarious. But yeah, that's you know, that, where else do I go other than the website? That, that's, I mean, you're right. <laughs> I've, I've been noticing that, man. Like when I was, you know, working on Wood Week, I was going to websites and I was like, yo, they ain't did that in about, you know, two to three years. And, yeah. you know, so and so don't even like so and so no more. Like, I can't use this. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of personal sites, websites that need updating. And you know, I I envy the people that can stay on top of that. That yeah. you go to the website and they have like the updated last article they they wrote, the last thing they spoke at, all of that just updated all the time. Like that that's just a like my wife says that I should hire like a intern or assistant or something to do to handle stuff like that. But when I hear that, I just think, oh shit, that's just more work. For me, because then I have to tell somebody to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's just it's e either way, either way, it's just it's just extra work, and some people do it, and and God bless, um, yeah. if you're able to get that done. But it's just it's just not a talent 
that I have or want. Brother Achille, uh, you, I, I think it's on you here, Reggie. Let me see. Uh, did we? Okay. Is it on me? Am I the? How are you doing? How yes, are you doing, Dan? Of course, man. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. But I'm genuinely, all... though, genuinely, how are you? I mean, you know, I I, I feel I feel like I'm healthy. You know, I mean, Word. there's all you know that 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 always comes with a caveat because there's always shit going on in in, in our bodies that maybe we don't know about. But, you know, I'm 43, so you know, the older you get, the more type of shit there is that's just lurking in there. But I feel good. I'm going to try to wow. go tomorrow morning. Um, you know, last year was a bit of a gap year for me where I just wasn't doing a whole lot. Once I left VSB in April, I was just basically just trying to figure out, okay, what what direction, like where, what do I want to pursue and what are my goals for, yeah. for this, for this, yeah. for this career. Um, and so this year's is a lot busier and, and so that's good, but it's also a bit of a, a bit of a whiplash because I, I was kind of chilling <laughs> for, yeah, yeah. for about eight months and now I'm not chilling at all. Um, yeah. But the kids are good. Uh, family's good. Um, just put them to bed. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, the world, world is on fire. Like, okay, I'm doing a thing. Um, uh, man, I her name. I'm doing a thing next week. Um, mm-hmm. she just released the book this week. I, you know what? Give me a second. No, no worries. Hey, I'm, bl- I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on. I'm blanking on her name right now. Because we were literally just talking a few minutes ago. Um, Cole, Cole Arthur Riley. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, Miss Air Flesh? Yeah, I'm doing a thing with her uh, next week. And we were talking on DM, just DMing back and forth, just, you know, about logistics for the conversation. And she mentioned that she felt a way about, you know, the world is on fire. We We, we might be about to go into World War III. And here she is with her book, and it's like, well, I feel, I feel, I don't know, kind of awkward trying to promote my book during a week when all this other shit is happening. And I get that, right? Yeah. That is, that's always, there's always going to be stuff that makes what we do feel small. But, you know, I, when I think of that way, I try to think of what, what my man Morgan said in, in Shawshank, where it's like, you know, you got to get busy living or get busy dying. And, yeah. And so, with you know, promoting her book and and doing all the stuff that comes with a book release, that's her getting busy living, right? Yeah. And so we only, yeah. you know, that's that's a choice that we have. We could be hyper focused and paralyzed by just all of the all all, all of the mess, all of the fuck shit, all the violence that's happening. And that and that if that is you, if if all this stuff is just too overwhelming to be able to process anything else. I get it because yeah, it, yeah. it's crazy. It, it, it's crazy out there. I mean, we're in a we're in a motherfucking pandemic. There, you know, there are Nazis everywhere, right? Everywhere, everywhere, in Poland. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, the the fucking the water ain't good anywhere. I mean, you you could just, you just go down a list of, of things. Fucking Kyrie's not hooping yet. I mean, that's that's bothering me. Um, still. 
So you can just go down a list of things that could, you know, just ruin your day, ruin your life thinking about yeah. them. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think that it's vital to find space for you, for your work, for your people, for joy, for laughter, for happiness, for levity. Um, yeah, and I think that if we want to stay alive, right, it's necessary that we find that space for ourselves to, to live. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I'm going to say, I appreciate you genuinely telling us how you're doing because it, it, it it's usually a little bit of uh, picking teeth. When we when we ask that question, you know, people be like, "Oh, I'm good." Well, you know what? You mentioned you alluded to my, you know, mentioned my podcast, and that's each. There's twelve episodes, and each episode deals with a different, different um subject, uh, like episode about sex, episode about race, episode about God, episode about money, and so the episode about mental health. I actually have KSA on, right? Mm. And we talk about and we talk about that particularly about how. We just be lying like hell, like shit to each other all the time. Every like, day. yo, what, what's good? Nah, I'm, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Yo, I'm yo, trying, trying to get like you, bro. Trying to be like you. <laughs> trying to be like you. And it, it becomes something that is so absent-mindedly like uh, reactionary that you we don't even recognize what we're saying. Like I, yeah. I, I told on the podcast, I told the story um, about a time I was I was walking through downtown Pittsburgh, or whatever, and a man. Uh, unhoused unhoused man was on the corner and asked you know asked for some money or no he, he didn't ask for nothing he just asked how i was doing and, and i said i'm good trying to be like you um and then i start i walked away and i was like i i'm actually not <sighs> okay yeah, 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 there's, yeah. There's, there's, there were about a dozen different responses I could have given except for that one. Yep. Right. Yeah. But again, it's a, it's a reflex, you know, it's like, you know, you, you take an Uber or a taxi or whatever to the airport and the person says, have a safe flight. And you say you too. <laughs> I've done that. No, so I many do times. that all the time. Right? Oh my God. I do stuff and, like that all the time. And to your point, you know, these, these, like these social, lubricants you know that, that's what they are they're they're, they're social lubricants but they're lies yeah. right because yeah. and, and and again you asked me the question how i'm doing and i and i try to give you a sincere answer after you after you kind of urged me to do it and i think on both ends like if i ask somebody what's good most of the time i'm not really trying to hear the actual truth mm -hmm. right yeah. it's just uh it's just a way of getting to the rest of our conversation. It's, it's it's a greeting or whatever, but there's something fucked up about that. Yeah. Like we yeah, should, yeah. we should, you know, we, we should ask questions that we want answers to, that we want real answers to. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and if we're not going to do that, then maybe figure out a new way to, to greet each other and say what's up or whatever. But, but right now we, we, we start each conversation with a lie. Mm. Yeah. People about to listen to this and be like, "Let's go start going to people." So, hey, is the food ready? <laughs> I'm more, is it? Is yo, it I'm hot? More of a, I'm more of a head nodder anyway. <laughs> Straight what up. <laughs> so, what's the difference between this head nod and this one? Like, what is the difference in, in connotation 
and affect between those two head knots? Like what oh. what circumstance distinguishes the the up knot from the down knot? I, I hit Black the, person, I, white person. I was just going to say, I hit the white people with the, the top, <laughs> okay. top of the day. <laughs> you know, white, black. Top of the morning. <laughs> if you, I guess if you if you like biracial or something, might start going like. Like, which way? Which, you, you this or that? Just figure yeah. it out. It, oh, I, it, man, I think that that is a great point there's a racial distinction i think it's you know even more than that it's it's a familiarity like i'm just thinking like if i do like this to somebody that i see out in public is somebody that i that i actually mm-hmm. want to see and have a maybe even have a conversation with yeah. whereas if i do one of these it's more like okay i know who you are you know who i am mm-hmm. we're doing a polite thing <laughs> to greet each other <laughs> um, we do, it doesn't have to go further than that yeah. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, there's definitely like this is this is family. This is all right, we cool, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess <laughs> not, not only yeah. are there racial motivations behind the head knot, there are boundaries within the head. Oh knot. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's dope. So the 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 next question, right? I mean, because we we'll, we'll talk about this some, right? What doesn't kill you makes you blacker, right? Mm-hmm. Which if you have, if you hear and you have not read this, you've had since twenty nineteen. You're slacking. Get your you life. are slacking, okay? Um, but other than shaming people for not having read your book, how would you, if someone is literally for some reason find out about your book today, right? How would you elevator pitch it? I mean, it's uh, you did it in the intro. It's about the angst, anxiety, absurdity, and allure of existing while black in America. That that that's it in a nutshell. Um, it's a it's a humor book, yeah. um, right? It actually won a, a humor award. Yes. Um, and I think that there are people who encounter my work, you know, particularly some of the essays that I've written for like VSB and you know, or like Time Magazine or whatever that report that were might have been more sober, more serious about about race or, or gender or whatever and just and also see that cover because that's like a serious looking cover and presume a certain thing about the book mm-hmm. um but the book it's the when i say the angst anxiety absurdity the absurdity is like the big thing and then everything kind of builds out from that um yeah. i mean the first story the first chapter in the book is called the nigger fight story oh, yeah. right that was so and funny. and it's about it's about my parents. All right, it, it's it's about uh, my parents having this story about sometime this white boy in like some some ice cream shop called them a nigger, and my dad kicks his ass. They ruin the store. They like break the windows and yeah, the glass and all that. The police come, you know, whatever. They get arrested, but they end up going back. They end up going home. And this is a this is a cool ass story. Yeah. Right. This is holy shit. You you fucking um, no. You 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 Paulo Creed right now. You you kick you kicked the racist ass. You got arrested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. You, you got you got to go home that night. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. You know. And at that point in my life, and I was like seven, eight years. No, I was actually like five, six years old. I had never been called that word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Just so I could have an opportunity to have a story like my parents did, yeah. where this white boy calls me a nigga, 
I splout the shit out of him. I got suspended from school, but you know what? Mm-hmm. I got I got my nigger fight story. I got my story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and so it the the bulk starts on that note with that story, right? And yeah. I wanted I wanted to, to to start the book with that because it's like you know what this is the sort of book this is the sort of thing that you're getting into by reading this book. Okay, I'm yeah. I'm gonna joke and and laugh and and make. And, ha- and find some liberty in in a thing that is a terrible thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And I'm also going to explore these deep anxieties and neuroses and self consciousnesses and vulnerabilities that I that I have, uh, because that's where the connectivity is. That's where the common ground is. Because you know maybe everyone hasn't had the experience of a of a 43 year old black man from Pittsburgh, but excuse me, everyone has has felt I don't know insecure everyone has had a journey to feel more comfortable in their own skin everyone has had anxieties everyone has had neuroses fears all that stuff and everyone has yeah. done some cringeworthy shit to try to subvert them or try to deal with them and so my bulk and most of my work now kind of exists in that space yeah right. yeah agree agree and um i wanted to say you mentioned it or you alluded to it um Damon won the 2020 Thurber Prize Award. Uh, yeah, the Thurber Prize for Humor. Um, I didn't say that in the intro. I didn't want to give it away early. But yes, <laughs> 2020 Thurber Prize for Humor. And congratulations to you oh, on thank that. Because you. You, you were actually the 20th winner of it in 2020, which was interesting, too, just from a numerical perspective. I, I, um, I, I did not know that till today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Today's, you know, today years yeah, old. Today years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I got. Can I get two? Yeah, yeah of course, okay. of course. Yeah, because I'm very excited about this this first one. I mean, I'm equally excited about all my questions, uh, yeah. but I've wanted to ask this question for a long time. Um, I was hoping, and I mean hoping, uh, with all the anticipation of a prepubescent, glee-filled teenager named Scott, that you would mm-hmm. do this interview in your domicile, um, in your place of lodging, while sitting in front of your exposed piping. Um, and, and here we are, you know, my first question is simple. Um, what would younger you, you know what I mean? Uh, like, like younger you, maybe even substitute you, you know, when you were, when you were being a substitute say to this man with exposed piping. Cause when I first saw it, I, I had to reckon with the fact that I was so poor and I didn't know things like that exist. You know, and now I too want it. So, what would younger you <laughs> say to yourself now that you have it? Well, if if much younger me, um, it's like, yo, this nigga's forty three years old, living somewhere with exposed pipes. He is. He hasn't done shit in his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like it's not. A, I thought it was a baller he thing. He can't afford. I mean, but I'm talking like much, much younger me because oh, this, okay. this this style of you know the exposed brick and exposed pipe that wasn't a thing. Until yeah. I don't know what the early aughts or whatever was that even yeah. a thing like in the nineties where that was like a uh, an aesthetic that people you know wanted like I know that maybe like in lost spaces in New York City perhaps but in terms of just nationwide I I, I don't know so so much much younger me be like yeah this nigga's a loser um he's on the com- well, he's on a computer all day and <laughs> like what is damn yeah damn you, i guess you didn't make the nba 
don't know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, I guess you is did. That a, yeah. Is that a basement? <laughs> That's what, what I your assume. House, your house has no walls? What the fuck? <laughs> you know, I'm from the South, and so I was like, maybe maybe it's a basement thing or something, you know? And shit, we don't have, you know, we don't have basements in the South. I mean, at least I've never been in one. So I was like, you know, first of all, you know, you're rich when you have a basement to me down here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But 10, 10 years ago, me, 33-year-old mm. me, who um, was, you know, VSB at that point, and then we're talking 2012, had, had, was pretty, was, had been established. And, you know, Panama and I were, you know, were known, you know, as this up-and-coming burgeoning blog. And we started to get some national, you know, attention, national press. Um, for that, um, it's funny that my aspirations then were to eventually get good enough at the writing where I could possibly get a book deal and and maybe get a staff job working somewhere, some digital publication slate or salon or or, or something of that nature. Um, and and now ten years later, I mean, I've I've been able to accomplish all the things that I wanted to accomplish. Yeah, ten years ago. Um, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, and and the funny thing is that I'm not I'm not happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't I don't know if that's just a a perpetual state of being for me. Like if if having that that desperation induced anxiety it's just a thing that i'm always going to have regardless of how much success or or validations or or whatever that i receive but i um i still feel like i'm not doing enough i still feel like i need to get better i still feel like i'm chasing something i don't even know what it is but i still feel like i'm chasing something yeah right yeah um and i think one of the things that you know, that contributes to that. And, and it's a good thing is that, you know, I, I, I've become in, in the last several years friends with people like KSA and people like, you know, uh, Robert Jones and people like Brian, mm-hmm. Deisha Filios, Samantha Irby, um, Nafisa Thompson Spears. I mean, the, the list goes on, mm-hmm. right? And Bossy Ekby. And, and these are people, you know, I read their work and I'm like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. And so, and so I'm not, when I'm thinking about myself in the present, I'm not thinking about me in comparison to 10 years ago, me, I'm thinking of me in comparison to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people, you know, people who are, I guess my peers, contemporaries, whatever, and just trying to be as dope as they yeah. are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Reggie, you got a question that, I, that literally like, floats into into that um with those names oh yeah you you want yeah yeah yeah. i can i'll I'll jump in here so yeah go ahead because i can save the other half of this till later it's just more of the nigger fight story i really want more of that from a different angle so it's on you brother (laughs) so you you mentioned several of the names that i'm gonna repeat here right and you know the, the names that come to mind when i think of like people you've maybe been around, at least when it comes to writing, or Panama Jackson, obviously, Shamira Ibrahim, or Ibrahim, uh, Michael Harriet, Deisha Filiaw, Keisha Blaine, Brian Broom, right? Uh, 
whether it's VSB, the Washington Post, your hometown of Pittsburgh, you always seem to be in these elite writing communities. And I would like for you to talk to us about the importance of having a community and what is ultimately a lonely profession since, you know, at the end of the day, it's you, one long matchup versus a blank page, then you in a series of matchups against the revisions. So how do they help you in these uh, matchups you're constantly going uh, having? Well, that, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, excuse me. Um, and so VSB didn't start out as a, as a community. Um, it started out as just two guys writing a blog about dating, sex, and relationships. Like uh, at that at that point, and we're, we're going back to two thousand and eight. If you remember the Zeitgeist, then there was a lot of like like Steve Harvey's book was one of the Zeitgeist driving forces, and and there were a lot of people that had that type of work out there. Like Hill Harper had a book. Um, even fucking Finesse Mitchell from SNL had a had a had a book about those topics, right? Yeah. And and so we figured that VSB could be a bit of a Trojan horse where we start off with, with our tongue-in-cheek satiric takes on, on this stuff. And then once we get, you know, a big enough fan base, then we kind of leave that behind and, and you know, talk about other stuff. Um, and I didn't have a traditional, I guess, writer's background. Like, I'm not an MFA um, and a lot of the pipelines that that you know that you know a lot of the black authors that we know, and not just you know author, but like SAS and people working at the Times and the Atlantic and the New Yorker or whatever. If you if you extrapolate out, a lot of them have certain things in common. Where mm-hmm. okay, maybe they have the MFA pipeline, maybe they have the HBCU pipeline, maybe they have the I went to an Ivy or like an Ivy adjacent like Stanford or. University of Chicago pipeline. Uh, maybe they are from New York City or DC. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe they have the Divine Nine pipeline thing where they've been able to, you know, network or or, or, or whatever through that. I don't have any of that. Yeah. Right. And so in order for me to in order for me to get on, right, I had to create, we had to create our own community. And so there was an intentionality with creating with, you know, once VSB got to a, got to a big enough space with, okay, we want to get Shamara Ibrahim because Shamara was in the comments at VSB. And mm-hmm. it was like, you know what? We think that this, that she has talent to, to start writing, to yeah. start, wow. you know, writing stuff. Um, you know, there, there's, there's so many people who, you know, were part of that community. Alex Hardy, who's a, who's a tremendous, tremendous writer. Yeah. Um, Jay Connor, uh, Natalie, Natalie, uh, Jay Connor, Natalie yeah. DeGraffery, who's a tremendous writer and editor. Um, you know, a, lo- a lot of people who were just a part of that community, and the community just kept growing and kept growing and kept growing. And that was, you know, for me, that was that education that I missed or that I just that path I, I wasn't able to follow um, where it became not just a blog, but a bit of a public campus mm-hmm. um, where I was able to experiment. I was able to workshop. I was able to get immediate feedback um, from, from the stuff that I did. Cause all the writing that I've ever done has been public. 
you know, I've never been a, a journaler. I've never had a diary. Everything I write is to, meant to be consumed eventually. Yeah. Um, and so, and so having that community there to tell me, you know, when shit was good and also tell me when shit was not good was yeah. extremely vital. And I think that any, any writer who um, is trying to make it, particularly a writer, particularly a black writer, you know, because as you were saying, it could, it could be extremely lonely. And this world, the publishing world is extremely, extremely white and not just like white, but like the whitest of whites. Yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I'm trying to think of an analogy off the top of my head. Talk about mayonnaise how white. white. It, like, it, it's so white, Rick James right. would have tried to snort it. Like, that's how white. <laughs> that's how white it is. All right. <laughs> All right. That'll, that'll do it. <laughs> and, um, and so when you're in the wow. industry that white, then you need, you need community. You need community. And, you know, some of the names that I mentioned um, you know, before this question, you know, these are people that I've, that I've become cool, that I've become, you know, friends with over the past, you know, five or six years who are also going through the similar sorts of things. And, you know, we talk to each other, we, we edit each other, we critique each other, we have email threads. Um, and, and again, it's a way to find a community um, and, and an unfamiliar place. And 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 sometimes very unforgiving place too. Yeah, for people yeah. who look like us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, Kelly, it's on you, brethren. Yeah. So, so like, kind of speaking to not necessarily, I guess, the whiteness of like the industry, but like of like consumption too, right? Uh-huh. Um, in the opening of your book, you were uh, searching desperately for your nigger fight story. And of course you ended up getting it, but it didn't quite go how you wanted it. Um, mm-hmm. And I always, I always tell my students like, uh, and it may be inspired by your book. Cause your book was one of the first books I had like did with a black man reading that I had like posted when I first started it. And, um, but it, they just don't seem to always work out. Cause I remember my first one, I was just like, wow, like, wow. You know? Mm-hmm. And one of my kids was telling me a teacher had said it uh, recently and they and they Teacher. were all just like yeah they were all flabbergasted. He was he was repeating what a student told him. A student called him a um you know a, a B A uh, N word. He was like, "Did you just call me a ass nigga?" You know. Mm. And the kids was like, <laughs> you know, <Whoa>. yeah. You <laughs> know? I can imagine that classroom. Like yeah, when I, when yes. I hear those stories, they, they actually. I, I'm. I, you're still asking your question. I'm sorry. No, nah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, when I, I hear mean, those that... stories about white people repeating that word, I, I actually I think it's hilarious. Like it's it's not obviously it's not like it's not funny. It's ser- it's serious. And these people, you know, if they if they say it, then you know you have to face whatever consequences the people that are in your community think you should have to face. But um, but it always like like when I heard that cut of Rogan. Saying nigga oh, wow. over and over again. I, was I thought it was I'm not funny. Gonna lie. I, was <laughs> I didn't think he was funny, but uh, just yeah, hearing but like, that is like, yeah, this is this is hilarious. <laughs> it goes yeah. into that absurd lane that you're yeah, talking it, about because that's absurd. I was okay. All right, I did a um. <laughs> come on, this is good. Right. <laughs> I did a I did a panel uh, for AWP. Um, back in like December, I think, in November or December. And I think AWP happens in March. 
maybe. So mm-hmm. this was a pre-recorded panel. Um, so it was it was a group. I, I'm not going to say who was there, but it was a group of authors, and we were talking about first-person writing. And one of the authors, older white man, I'm not going to say his name. You'll you'll be able you'll when you see my AWP panel, you'll see who I'm talking about. Yeah. And also, I forgot his name. So, um, he's telling he's reading an excerpt from his work, and this excerpt. He's reading and he's like, and yeah, the you know, and then the nigger said that the but, and I'm and he's still reading and I'm and I'm on I'm, and I'm on a Zoom like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say yeah. I didn't say anything, <laughs> and then he's done reading, and then it was it was one of those sort of sorts of conversations where each of the authors there just asked like everyone had a had had space to read. And then when they were done reading, everyone had a chance to like ask them questions about the work and the process or whatever. And so when it came to me, I was just like, yo, um, yeah, I, that word. What's yeah. up, man? Like of, of all the excerpts to read, why would you why would you choose that one? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and and yeah. I told him, it's like, you know what? When you when this thing airs. People are not going to listen to the rest of what you said. People are going to be taken out of what you're talking yeah. about because of, because of that word and because of you, old white man, saying this word. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. and so it became this larger conversation about who's allowed to say the word, and if people are allowed to say the word, if if they're repeating it and whatever. And it wasn't really a conversation; it was the rest of the authors telling this guy, like, "Yo, you can't do that." Yeah, yeah, Basically, yeah. Nah, that you just you just can't do that. Yeah, and so again, whenever AWP, um, whenever that ex- whenever that is in March or whatever, I'll I'll probably promote that panel. But you will see it, and yeah. the moderator actually asked, "It's like you know what? Do we? Because this conversation went on for like ten minutes. Yeah, us, you know, just going back and forth. And the moderator asked if we wanted to edit that part out." At a convo and everyone was like no this uh, is this is great they had this conversation about this usually these these sorts of panels are boring as fuck when you yeah. read some excerpt of your work and people ask some questions about process and you know and like a, a word choice or or, or whatever and voice but this we actually dug into some meat about permission and about language and about ownership and and and, and who owns what words and and things that shit that actually is interesting to talk about. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's just funny, like hearing that word. Because um, when he said it, I had to, I had to pull one of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I'm <laughs> so thankful I, I for my mask in the yeah. class. I just be like. <laughs> so I, 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 I knew that once he was done, I was going to say something. But it was just like, what? This nigga really said nigga. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. Like when it happens, yeah, right. it's like seeing a shooting star. It's like, holy shit, yeah. it's happening. And it felt <laughs> like anybody, when I was growing anybody up. Anybody witnesses? All my teachers chose those excerpts. And so I would just be in there like, this is the one. This is the one we're going to have the question on right here. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is the one because Miss Miss Caldwell, you know, wants to use this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so like the second half of that is um, kind of situated with, the the essay heard around the world, right? 
um, when you when you wrote about uh, your whiteness is a pandemic essay. And you talk a little bit about this and what happens in terms of being doxxed. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the second best thing about being doxxed by white supremacists. But I almost always seem to come in like on the tail end of your conversations where you're kind of talking about that essay and what kind of happened afterwards. And so, um, you know, to me, your work has kind of always been extremely fun, funny and witty, right? What is it like having an essay kind of, uh, you know, be compared to the end of the world? You know what I mean? Like to, to, to like, you know, cause I, I remember it blew up. And like I said, I think you were talking to Kiss and I came in at the tail end of it. Um, and, but, but what is that like to have an essay affect, you know, them so okay. much for, for, for context. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so people remember the, um, the Atlanta massage parlor murders, mm-hmm. um, that white yeah. man went into, I think like three different yeah. parlors and, and killed, I think eight people total and five or six of them were um, Asian American women, I think who worked mm-hmm. at these parlors. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, a few days later, I wrote a piece um, in response to that. And I, I forgot the exact title. Um, I'm paraphrasing here. I, I think it was, um, uh, it, it, it was basically about how white supremacy is a danger to everyone. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Not, white, not just, is it whiteness uh, is a pandemic? White supremacy is, I think, either whiteness is a pandemic or white supremacy is a pandemic. Okay, mm-hmm. one, one, one of the two. And in and, and the article just talked about how, you know, white, white, white people, you know, not all white people, white people are, are fine, they're, they're human beings, but white supremacy is evil. And it's, 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 it's something that will eventually, you know, harm us all, kill us all if, if, if white people don't do something about it. Because this is, this is a white people problem. I mean, what we're seeing in, 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 in fucking Europe right now, this is, that, that's a byproduct of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Right? And so I, I write this piece. You know, it was, it was a quick reactive piece, maybe like five, six hundred words. Um, and it's, it's, you know, doing its normal thing, whatever. And then I, I hear that it had gotten picked up by like Fox News. Fox, yeah, yeah, where, yeah, where they are talking about it, and you know, writer, writer at the root. Well, you know, they didn't even say writer at the root. They said writer for the New York Times, because at that time I was the contributing opinion writer for the Times. So they just put, you know, what was the most explosive thing they could say in a headline? Writer for the New York Times writes for the root that white people. Or the devil, or the devil, or something like that, and so a lot of the conservative, you know, right wing, you know, websites, or whatever, like Fox and like Brett Bart, Blaze, all, all that shit, they all covered it. And at first, I thought this was it was hilarious to me. Yeah, you know, I, I think I even like shared some of the some of those articles in my IG stories. Like, look, look at these <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Then I got word. That um, that my private contact information had been my private, you know, address, phone numbers, mm-hmm. my, my wife and I, mm-hmm. email address, whatever, had found its way to some like white supremacist message boards. Yeah, and so and then some harassment started. You know, and this I remember this happened or this started happening on a Saturday, and when that happened, my wife and I we immediately can't because we were getting these texts. And phone calls, and we just immediately just called T-Mobile and changed our numbers. Yeah. Um, 
and it was, you know, I'm not going to lie, it was scary when that was mm-hmm. happening. And, you know, this was yeah. March of 2021. This is just a couple months after the insurrection. And it's like, you know, I'm already thinking, okay, these white people are, cra- are crazier than normal yeah. now. So who knows what's going to happen, what's going to pop off. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we did a lot and to try to shore up any vulnerabilities um, that we have. And, um, and you know, um, knock on wood, nothing passed that, you know, the, the emails. And the emails continued. The emails continued for about a month. The, the, the DMs and stuff on, you know, people leaving comments on IG and, you know, shit like that. That continued for a month or so. But then, you know, they maybe lost interest or, or whatever. Yeah. But that was still a, you know, very, that was a scary thing to go through. Mm -hmm. And after that, or during that experience, I'm thinking, okay, I I am going to write about this, but I don't know how. Yeah. How how am I going to do it? And and also, not just how am I going to do it, but where it's going to be. Yeah. When I do it. And so, probably in like May or June, I got the idea to write a humor piece. Yeah, the docs piece yeah yeah about you know things that um you know the second best thing about being docs about white supremacists and i and i and for people who haven't read the piece i go through like you know the best thing of course is that i have to get a new address book and that means Mm -hmm. that all the people who (laughs) all the people who i don't call anymore i don't text anymore they're, they're just not making it to my new phone Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that you know, and that's a good thing. And so the the piece goes through a list of of, of stuff like that. And yeah. I originally was actually going to uh, publish it on, uh, for Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with the editor there. I actually got connected with them by Kiese. Um, but then the uh, the Washington Post thing happened, where they, they offered me this job, and you know, and I was thinking, okay, what what can I write? that like really just starts with a, you know, starts with a bang and announces like, holy <laughs> shit, I'm I'm this is this is who I am. This is Damn, I'm yeah. here. Damon Young's here, yeah. 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 Damon, Damon Young's Damon here Young. now. Damon being yeah. Damon. Yeah. And so this piece ended up being my first piece, uh, my first Washington Post column. Yeah, yeah. I liked how, you know, now you get to win every conversation. Uh <laughs> and, and, and I think it was like it was something it was like uh Pick, pick catching Brian or something. You were like, can you even really come off a screen? And like, yeah. He's here. And I'm I'm over here tripping because I, I I googled right just to get the title, which is whiteness is a pandemic. So the, can I can I just share the first couple of Google hits just for to humor y'all? The root accused of racism after a piece declares whiteness is a pandemic. Racist sound of whiteness is a pandemic. Outrage after report on the root declares whiteness is a pandemic. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Yeah. that is, ain't that ain't that what uh ain't that what they call in white fragility nowadays, or is it something worse than that? Yeah, I guess I guess that's it. And you know, as I say in the piece, I mean, you know, you have these white people who are more concerned with status retention and terror. Mm-hmm. Than in mirrors, yeah. Um, 
and and so when when you write a thing like that and you and, and you show, and you tell them about themselves, then they get upset with it. And you know this is you know I'm not definitely not the first, not the last person who's going to write about this. You know this is you know as long as we've been here, there have been you know journalists, authors, writers, song creators you know, creating content about this, yeah. you know, you, you know, creating content about this as a form of resistance. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is, this is, you know, just another brick in, in, in that legacy. Cause you know, again, I'm not the first and, and I, I won't be the last um, yeah. to, to, to say a thing like this and, and to get uh, less, less than positive reaction from, from white people. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, for sure. So we'll 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 do a, a a brief interlude, and then we'll get back into the the uh, the questions that we that we be asking, right? So the this might not be the easiest of interlude questions, but I think it might be fun for you to answer, right? So okay. we're, we're all readers here. What is what is the main characteristic that most of the books you enjoy have? No, it wasn't the easiest one. I asked this because I recently did an IG Live with two of my friends, Letty and Chanello, and they actually asked me that, and I love that question. So, and I'll even, I'll help out here a little bit too. The answer I gave was I love the community novels like Sula, right, where it's set in the bottom of the Women of Brewster place, where it's set in Brewster, or like all of Ryan, uh, Rihanna Milkar Scott's work, right? Uh-huh. So that's like the answer I ended up giving, right? Just... You know, mm-hmm. Damon, you want to answer, Achille, if you're thinking of something too, right? I'm curious, what is like life. the common, what is like the common characteristic that most of the books you love have? It's humor. For sure. Yeah, it, it's humor. Um, and even if the book is about a, a serious subject matter, there's still humor in it. Like there's, there's, there's some deeply funny lines in the blue side um deeply yeah. funny um you know and, and, and it's not funny like stand-up comedy haha funny but it's just funny in terms of like irony funny in terms of you know the the, the situation that's being described and and how she's describing it yeah right um how tony morrison would describe it um and so i'm just thinking about some of my my favorite books some of my favorite authors you know the first book that made me like have to literally throw the book because I was I, like, this is so funny. I'm just going to throw it somewhere. Was Catch Twenty Two? Um, really? Like yeah. Mm-hmm. I read that in college. I read that in college, and I it was assigned there. It was like a a, a class about war related novels, uh-huh. and I read that, and I was like, yo, this shit is fucking hilarious. Now I haven't read it in twenty years. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. if I would still have the same reaction to it now. But then I thought, well, holy shit, this is hilarious. Um, there was another book, um, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien, which was assigned to me in that same class. Mm-hmm. And this was a very serious book about the Vietnam War. And also one of the things that O'Brien does, it, and the thing that I've kind of adopted um, you know, um, with, with my work, is he's a lister. He likes to list things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a lister. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And he also had some lines and some scenes and some some just ironies in there that were that were extremely like just just really darkly funny. Yeah. Um, Angela Nissel's The Broke Diaries is another book that I read when I was in college that was you know one she was the first writer I had a crush on. Like I I, I was like yo I have to meet this woman. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and actually we're cool now. She's a homie now. Um, and. She wrote about her experience when she was a student, a broke student at uh, University of uh, uh, Pennsylvania, and it was just I, I hadn't read a book that had that like that sort of like first person diary feel, but in a book, it was like, what you could you could write a book like this? I, I didn't realize that. I didn't know you could do this in, in a book. Um, the Godfather, you know, going back, yeah, autobiography of Malcolm X. The, these books, you know, are these, you know epic epic uh stories but they also had um parts of them that were deeply funny malcolm x has this line where he's like the only thing i like integrated is my coffee and that (laughs) shit is (laughs) like the funniest shit i've ever read in my life and you know (laughs) i've been asked excuse me i've been asked you know frequently you know why I um, why I insert humor in my work, okay? Yeah. Why I do that so frequently? And I I never really had an never really could think of an answer that satisfied me until either last year or the year before. I saw an interview, or I either saw or read an interview with Michelle Cole, who is the the creator of I May Destroy You. Um, chewing gum, you know, if you haven't seen that show, it is, it is, it's brilliant. It's amazing. She's also an amazing actress too. Um, and that show deals with serious subject matter, you know, with, with consent and, and sexual assault and, and so, but it's also an extremely funny show too. And in an interview, she was asked this question, why do you assert humor in such a serious, you know, with such serious subject matter. And her response was, I don't insert humor. I just don't remove it. Oh, I like that. And that's I was fly. like, that's it. That's fly. That, that, that's yeah. it right there. She just doesn't take the humor out of these situations that we're in, where even, you know, sometimes the most terrible thing is happening. There could be a thought or an observation or an irony or something that is actually funny is actually yeah. it, it you, you may not even want to laugh in a moment but you you think back on it, it's like yeah that that, that was funny mm-hmm. right so that's, that's heavy that's heavy i was gonna ask this question but i think i want to kind of edit it a little bit um so my my question would be you know what's a question that uh you always wish people asked so like a question that you hadn't got that you kind of want but now i'm thinking like what is the most author esque thing you've said in an interview? Like, like how <laughs> how that person said, "I don't." Um, it's not that I insert the humor; I just don't remove it. Have do you have a it. bar? I, I think that you, that, you took that bar. It. Yeah, <laughs> I tell that story. This isn't the first time I've told was... the story. I've seen I've seen her interview, and yeah. like I've, I've probably told the story ten times now. Gosh, so that is probably bar. the most writerly awkwardly thing to, and it's and it's her words and I just repeat them. I give her credit obviously, but that's yeah. definitely yeah. 
because most of the time I just be up here rambling and, I, and I'll have these random jokes and shit. So, so yeah, that that's it right there. That's that's the bar. Yeah. Do you think do you think like that just comes out of them or, or do they like like when they're in their like when they're in their writer room, they'd be like, you know, I got this one waiting in the back or So you know what? I, I've I've had that question. You know, when you see people who, who can get on like these panels or whatever and they just they're just able to just spit. Yeah, they're just yeah. able to just spit like one person who's Brittany Cooper. If you ever listen to Brittany Cooper on yeah. a panel oh, yeah. or on an interview, she is able to just go with all of these like complex analogies and phrases and 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 compositions, and she's inventing words and she's inventing new you know ways to punctuate um, things. And these are things that I could do on the page, easy. Yeah, yeah. But I can't do that out loud. I, I just I yeah. can't do that out loud. But she <clears throat> has that ability and. And so one of the things that I've, I've noticed with people who have this, this uh, disability is that they are constantly in conversation. Like they're in, a, they're in a sort of occupation where they are constantly in conversation and constantly using these terms. Yeah. So a person like, like Brittany, who's a college professor, who is with, mm-hmm. you know, talking to other kids and talking to colleagues and having these sorts of conversations on a regular basis then they become more part of your regular lexicon. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, whereas for someone like me, who I'm, I'm just not having those types of conversations in person out loud every day, then it's, you know, it's not, it's just not a part of it. It's a bit, you know, if you want to get that from me, there's going to have to be some deep editing, which yeah, is why yeah. I um, yeah. appreciate my podcast. Cause there's a lot of deep editing in this, in this, yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. scripted. It's, it's very scripted. A lot of editing, yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't have done it any other way. <laughs> right, right. Hey, and and speaking of editing, uh, you actually walked us uh, nicely into part two of the the questions, right? Okay. Denise Oswald, who is your editor, left Echo, um, an imprint under Harper Collins. For those who mm-hmm. may not know, to become editorial director at Pantheon, which is an imprint under Penguin Random House, for those who may not know. Mm -hmm. You said in an Instagram post, I believed it was in my best interest to move there too. Meaning you felt that it was best for you to move over from Echo to Pantheon as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us about the difficulties, if any, that may have existed in that decision, one, and can you also, right, uh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Can you share any difficulty that may have existed? Because in that same post that you made, you praised Echo immensely, right? Can you also talk to us about the luxury of connecting with an editor who you could develop such a good relationship with that you would even consider making this move because she did? I'm curious as to whether or not this is something that's commonplace in the industry. Um, And I also wanted to use this as a way to shout out Lisa Lucas, who's the publisher over there. Big up to Lisa Lucas. Yeah, so um, I, um, I I I know that a lot of um, authors of color, particularly black black authors, have had horror stories about the publishing industry and about bad bad agents, bad editors, bad publishers, bad publicists. Um, I have not had that. You know, I've I've had a pretty um, 
you know, I, I, I've, I've had a pretty, pretty good experience so far with the people that I have, you know, the people that I've, that I've worked with, people I've had the pleasure of working with. And so when I left Echo, I wanted to make clear that this wasn't me, you know, leaving Echo because Echo fucked up or anything like that. Um, I was leaving because once you develop a relationship with an editor, you know, it's, it's vital that you, and I think that it's vital that you, you try to keep that. Right. And, you know, particularly someone like me who, you know, my tone, it's, it's not for everyone, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to balance this line of like, you know, okay, there's humor and there's absurdity, but there's also like a serious, like racial critique, gender critique, sexual critique, you know, um, class critique in, in there as well. And, and I just, I just didn't want to have to work with another editor who would have to have to work to get me. Mm-hmm. Right. And we had already had that relationship. Um, and again, Echo, Echo was, uh, Echo was a great place. Echo is a great place. Um, but again, it was just in my best interest to go to Pantheon. And also, you know, it, it didn't hurt that Lisa's there now and Lisa's right. the homie. Um, you know, Lisa's there now. Denise is there now. I mean, they just hired Conception De Leon, who's who's another friend of mine um, there. And so, you know, it's a. Uh, at that point, it was uh, like a no brainer, right? For sure. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. I, answer, I felt um, like you asked them. I felt like there was a the second a sub, half. I can't a remember sub, what was a sub question that you asked too. Yeah, I, um, I don't know if I addressed. No, I mean, I think you did because I wanted to know, like, if there were any difficulties in the decision because of just how you really praised Echo during that. Right. And then just, you know, about building a relationship with the editor. I mean, you you answered it from what I can tell. Okay. Yeah. And thank you, too. Okay, this one is um, let me see if it is even in this question, but I wanted to remind myself before we got out of time. One of my one of my um, motivational factors uh, of of everything that I've done um, since creating. Well, it all started, you know, I come on, I see VSB. I'm like, yo, this is awesome. This is so great. You know, I want to do something like this. And I start this terrible website called Cigarillos and Coffee. um, And I don't even know if I read it. And so, you know, I start that, I delete it and I move on and I create a black man reading. And I was like, I'm going to work hard enough so that I can, you know, get in front of Damon Young because I have to ask him this question. Um, I want to know, and I haven't seen it in a while, you know, thank goodness. But where is the start of your disdain for, for Kappa Alpha Psi? Is it <laughs> I knew, I knew that was coming. When I, when I, I reread the book, when I reread the book, I was like, hey, babes, this <laughs> is my time, baby. I can finally ask him. Was it the sockless guy trying to take the bacon or... Did some sockless noop do something, you know, an undergrad? Where did this disdain come from? And I mean, I don't know if I can do anything at this point to fix it. You know, I try um, I try to make sure that I'm, you know, present and that I show up correctly. Uh, but then I put on this shirt that was too small, you know, so things <laughs> things happen that may make us a target. And I just want to know where the disdain comes from. <laughs> so, um, 
I, I, I have to apologize ahead of time because I'm going uh-huh. to disappoint you no. and whoever else uh-huh. is uh, has me curious about this. Um, yeah. There's nothing behind it at all. It was just an any, mini, mini, mo thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just me. It just became a thing where I think that in, 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 in one piece, I had a joke about Kappa's. Uh, yeah. you know, y'all are easy to y'all are easy to pick on. You have, you have to admit it's low hanging fruit. It's the lowest hanging fruit of the divine nine. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, okay. Um, and so it just and then people are like, "What you got against Kappa's? What do you?" And then I just continued. You couldn't stop. So, it got yeah, too far. So it was it was it was a comedian who comes back to the same joke every time. Every I'm just yeah. being like a hacky. Hacky ass comedian, right there. But yeah, there's there's nothing, there's nothing, no like secret, deep core animosities or anything. Yeah. Like some 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 of my best friends have friends who are capitalists, you know. So yeah. I, you know, my, it, it, my it's friend. fine. You know, I got I got addicted <laughs> to it after a while. You know, I was like, I was like, hey, babes, let's see if he mentions us again. Let's see, if, <laughs> let's see if another one of us came in with a cardigan and. and <laughs> Man. You know what? I do. I so I, I do have a homegirl um, who's a uh-huh. Delta, who uh-huh. married a Kappa, and I think she may have felt the way about my my Kappa jokes or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Um. I'm. She has. She never communicated anything that like that to me. But I just, you know, you just kind of, kind of give it. kind of got that energy, you know. And yeah. I never told her that it was. I'm just, I'm just really just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. It is there's sticking. Not, there's nothing. There's no animosity. There's no nothing for Kappa's. Yeah. I mean, if anything, let me think. Do I have, do, do I have like any sort of animosity towards anyone in a divine nine? Any, any group? Um, yeah, nah, I don't. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't pledge myself. Um, you know, it wasn't. It just wasn't really. A, I went to school. Kenesha's College in Buffalo, and mm. we didn't have black frats on campus. Um, the closest school that had them was Buffalo University, yeah. University of Buffalo, UB. But it just wasn't a thing that was interesting, was interesting to me particularly. But, you know, I, I never had any, like, hard feelings. It was just like, oh, yeah, he's a he's an alpha. Oh, he's a sigma. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, now that the white rabbits died... Um, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know that was very anticlimactic. You were hoping probably for a story that involved like, like infidelity and someone's girl. And, yeah, yeah. You know, the Waffle infidelity. House. Waffle House, maybe. You know, but no. yeah, the Waffle. Yeah, definitely. That's fine. That's fine. Well, the other half of my question, because I was prepared for it, possibly just being that you know we were easy targets. Um, your essay about your father being a publicist for the Grim Reaper is everything. Um, in it, your father gives you this United Negro father scenario or scenarios because a couple of them about people he presumes you know and the most outlandish things ever happened to them, right? Mm-hmm. I want to know one, um, how often are those stories completely true? And then two, because my dad be doing it. And then, like, I look at the paper, and somebody's elbow did, in fact, fall off. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, what the? What? <laughs> so how often are they true? And and then I'll save the second half for after you kind of talk about that. I mean, I, I took some liberties. 
Yeah, I, I took some liberty yeah. with that, but I got the gist of it. And it's yeah. funny because you know when my when some of my cousins read it, particularly my my cousin Sarah Honey Young, who all, who's de- designed my book. She's a very talented author yeah. and and photographer, cool. DJ. She she does a whole all the things she does, and she does it really well. Um, but when she read it, she was like, "Oh yeah, that that's Uncle Weeb. My dad, my dad yeah. goes by Weeb." And and you know, I again, I took some liberties, but that's the thing that I guess a lot of older parents do now, where they they call their children, and you know, like, "Hey, hey, how you doing?" Yeah, you remember um Sally Jenkins? I I'm sorry, Dad, I don't. She had the peg leg. Yeah. We used to call her Woody because <laughs> she had that peg leg. Because yeah. Dad, I I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyway, she got her face bit off by a bat. I, I just want to tell you that her whole face, <laughs> giant bat, just came, swooped down, and bit her whole face off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, good night. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, Dad. Talk, talk to you later. Talk, yeah. talk to you later. Okay. Watch out for the bats next yeah, time. Watch out for the bats. I get that. Yeah, take it slow. Be safe. Um, I get Stay dangerous. It's about, I'd say, about once every yeah. two weeks. Well, he'll. It's either someone who passed or something he read, like someone who got like shot in the nose and now they have three nostrils or you know, this this some like horrible, awful calamity that, that happened to somebody. And and again, I, I get it, you know. And I I told my dad that this article was coming and obviously and I let him see it before it published and he thought it was hilarious. And you know, one thing he said was like, you know, Dave, um I'm just I just get these calls all the time, you know, when you're yeah. my age and, and, and you have the privilege of, of still being alive, then a lot of people, you know, my dad just turned 75 and he's like, yeah, a lot of people that I grew up with, a lot of people I know are dead or yeah, dying. Yeah. And so I get these calls. And so <laughs> I tell yeah, you yeah. about them because these yeah. are people that you have met at some reunion or some cookout or some basketball game or some re- repass or, or something you have met these people like, yeah okay dad yeah. i get it yeah yeah or, i know you your dad uh, oh, yeah. go ahead go ahead rich well i was, I was gonna, gonna say, say I, I was gonna say i know your dad had like a hand in like you know like kind of pushing you into writing um uh-huh. you know with words etc do you do you think like some of like the 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 wit you write with and like the satire is or has he always had those scenarios or is this something that's come along you know you know my what I mean yeah yeah been, my dad has always been the life of the party the the story he he's the guy that has the stories like when yeah. like my dad comes from a family where they have um he has eight brothers and sisters um from Newcastle PA which is a small small town about sixty miles north of Pittsburgh um huge you know not just you know all these brothers and sisters but all these cousins and mm-hmm. you know whatnot and it's a really close-knit family um yeah. and so whenever they gather and it's always a great time whenever everybody gets together and that's that's a part about this pandemic that's just fucking awful is that we haven't been able to have those sorts of gatherings those sorts of times the same way yeah. but when everyone gathers and all the uncles and all the aunts get together on someone's porch or in someone's backyard or telling stories, my dad is always like the ringleader. My dad's always the one who is, you know, telling the loudest stories or admitting the most laughs with his stories and and whatnot. So it's a thing that I've always, um, I've always seen. 
um, since I was a kid. And, you know, I even think that part of my personality where I'm, I've always been more of an introvert is maybe a response to how my dad had such a big personality and, and told these stories. And I was like, oh, well, I can't compete with that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, yeah. Even, you know, going back, the nigger fight story is, is a prime yeah, example yeah. of that. You know, where that, that was a ter- terrible, awful thing that happened to them. But the way my dad told it, it was the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. It was like going to yeah. Chuck E. Cheese. Where, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so that's, yeah, I think that the, the, the initial just looking at things with, you know, with a critical eye, but also um, embracing the levity. And situations yeah. is something that I got from, and not just my dad too. My mom uh, was like that too, um, mar, and, mar. Um, yeah. and so yeah, that's that's something that isn't new at all. And yeah. I hope, God willing, I, I live long enough to be able to do the same thing to my son when yeah, he's my yeah. age. Where, where, um, where? And, and and hopefully we have the same sort of relationship um, that my dad and I have now. Word up! Word up! So you yes, young Reggie. Um, Damon, so this is kind of like leading towards the, the the new book title that we know about if we if we follow you, right? So you coined the term post-brokenness stress disorder mm-hmm. back in 2018 during an opinion piece for the New York Times. And that term would evolve into post-traumatic brokenness disorder or PTBD. By the time you published, um, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you blacker. This term seems to continue evolving, right? Because mm-hmm. the next book is called The Rage of New Money, which is described in Publishers Lunch as a caustic, intimate, absurd, and tragic comic exploration of what it means to suddenly find yourself middle class as a black man in America, perpetually dogged by reminders of how poor you were yesterday and how poor you might be tomorrow. So I want to know how does the journey of this term's evolution, going from post brokenness stress disorder to PTP, PTBD to the rage of new money, accurately reflects the anxieties and hesitations you may still be dealing with about money? All right, um, great question. All, all these questions have been have been amazing. This has really been a really I've really enjoyed doing this. Um, you all have created a great thing here. Thank you, brother. You know, and, um, Thank you. you Thank should, you. More than you, you know. know it, it's definitely y'all. Y'all are doing the Lord's work with this. So, yeah, want to say you. that. Um, so that evolution from, I guess, what I said in the Times and then what I said in my book was kind of accidental. <laughs> I, I think that I just got the phrasing wrong. Like there wasn't an intentionality <laughs> with changing it. <laughs> I think I, 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 I think I, I think I called it post. Really great post. question. I'm gonna tell you that I really just you know. <laughs> I think it went from what what was the post broke, post traumatic brokenness disorder to post. I, I, whatever it was, like right. <laughs> I, I wanted it to be the same thing, and so that it was different. That's just me absentmindedly switching the sequence of the words up. Right. Um, so there wasn't necessarily like an evolution of thought. It was just me fucking up. <laughs> okay. um, I love it though. Yes, yes. And so, and, and also, um, so there's there's going to be another book that comes before the Rage of New Money. 
Oh, okay. um, and it's a it's an anthology yes. that I'm going to edit and curate on Black American humor. Yes, um, and there will be more. You'll there will be more about that soon, but um, it's going to have a lot of a lot of our favorite people in it. PSA right, writing, 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 writing funny stuff, and you know, basically the premise, the overall premise of the book is that Black American humor is the best American humor because we yes, have. Yes. Because we have the best perspective, and we have the we have the most material. Right, right. We have things that we're able to. We have subjects we're able to touch that other people just just you just can't touch it. But we can because that's a privilege that we have as as being black. Um, and so, so yeah, that's going to be that's going to be coming probably next year, hopefully, and then right. and then raise new money. I think the year after, but um, but money class class anxiety class aspiration all of that you know those are things that i've always been fascinated with right and and also shame also how Mm. we associate money and class and and and, and with 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 shame and like not having money and and all the things that suggest that you do have money you know i've written you know i wrote the thing for the for the times about my teeth um you know, for I wrote a thing for the Modern Love um, section um, about a date I went on, and right, I'm not going to repeat the, the piece, but it, it, it's a piece about teeth and it's a piece about the journey it, of my feelings about my own teeth and and how teeth are a way of signaling class and, and status and, yeah. and money. And for so, sure. if you don't have good teeth, then it's a way of basically telling on yourself. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and so teeth are for me, just a really good entry point to have these larger conversations about money and about class. There's also a piece that's going to publish in the Washington post on Monday about, you know, I ended up getting a business line last year and it's a T it is a piece about why, 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 why I did it last year. Right. Cause mm-hmm. I've been able to afford it for a few years now. So what, what made last year distinct? Why yeah. did I finally decide to do it last year? And so that piece kind of goes into that, but um, but yeah, the money thing and how it validates and cripples and paralyzes and validates. I think I said validate already, and and just has this oversized, outsized impact on how we think, how we what we do, how we feel about ourselves, and and I just feel like there's just so much in there to unpack, uh, and particularly for someone like me who. You know, I, I, I've, you know, my parents were working class and also broke, also poor. We had also been homeless. I've, you know, I've been in circumstances where, you know, I've had my car repossessed. I've, I've had to lie. I, I, I had to lie to a church just to join that church's credit union, just to get enough mm-hmm. money to, to be able to get my car back. Um, yeah. and, and this happened, this wasn't that long ago when this happened. This happened like like nine or ten years ago. So we're not talking like 20, like 15, 20 years ago. This was relatively recent. Um, and so to go from that to expose pipes, <laughs> right, has been, has, been, has been jarring for yeah, me. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I feel like there's just a there's just a whole lot in there that that needs unpacking that I still need to process it and, and and make some sense of and 
you know, hopefully the work that I do about this, it's, you know, makes sense and is able to, I don't know, provide like a, a, a new-ish perspective on just what money can do to a person, what the pursuit of money, what thinking about money, what using money as a validator, as a, as an aspiration can can do to people, what it does to us, and how you know, and how white supremacy is intertwined with that, how gender is entwined with that, how sex is entwined with that. Um, so so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there, and I plan to stay there as long as I can. Word. Now yeah. we we know you're gonna. We know you're gonna do the damn thing like always, brother. I can't wait for the for the humor anthology that you're editing. I know that's gonna be a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, you need to do yeah. if you need to do the laugh in the background of the audio book. I got I got like four of them joints ready, man. Right. I can do like the, okay. you know, the grown man laugh. I can do like the rapper, like the hove laugh. You know what I'm saying? I got all of them in the pack if you need it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the light skin laugh. So you know the hoes laugh. Like all the hoes affects are light skin affects. Even though I don't yeah. consider him to be to be light light skin. I don't know. It yeah. depends on what part of the country you're like from. Brown, so if you, yeah. I, I feel like people from the south might consider him light skin. I don't. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I consider him brown. You know, brown, I, I consider okay. like Steph Curry light skin. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's, that's you easy. know what I'm saying? But like that's kind of when I started saying it though. Like, I don't know, this I feel like I have that else. pale. It's like a I think at least in Mississippi is like a um like a yellow right. type. You know, you, you know who I feel like is like the the I always mispronounce this word. The the ink block test, but what's the what's it actually called? The word the uh, the Worcestershire sauce test. Yeah. Okay. That I dude like on Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. The Worcestershire sauce test yeah. of this is Yara Shahidi. Because I, yeah. I feel like she's light skin, but she is not. She's she got a little brown tinge to her. But you know, yeah, like if you, she, she has like certain, I guess. Characteristics that yeah. I feel like we associate with lighter skin, but if you actually yeah. look at her skin, she's, she is dark. She's huh? actually pretty. She's actually mm-hmm. pretty brown, mm-hmm. right? But she's. I. But when I think of her, I think of her as being like. I think of her as being a a lighter skin woman, but because of certain characteristics she has. But you actually look at her, she's like, oh, actually, she's actually really quite brown. So anyway, I, I am. I am just. I'm just always that's another, that's away. another thing I'm fascinated about about <laughs> just our interracial, um, our interracial feelings about about complexion. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and 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 how how that impacts how that impacts so that impacts class that impacts dating, yeah. um, impacts um, you know who we decide to be in community with. It, 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 there's there's a lot. There's a whole lot there. Yeah. All right. I, so, I just always think about the fact that her her mom's Nas's cousin, and her dad took pictures of Prince for for a long time. I'm just like, wow! Like, what is that like to to like grow up around that? Some people are meant to make it. Yeah, that's that's all that is. Man. Some people are meant to make it. Like, who, who was it? I, I was reading a story. What it. I think it was in one of Gladwell's books about one of the like the like maybe Bill Gates or Michael Dare or whatever, and how 
I think it was the story about Michael Dell about, you know, he, his dad like worked on computers, like old computers, and he would bring all these computers home and he just had all these old computers to just tinker around with in his garage. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, of course this guy is going to <laughs> make sense and invent, invent a, a computer because he had, he, you know, he had that. He had that background. Yeah. And when you, you know, I, and that's another conversation about, you know, when, when people, when you look at people who are, who we consider to be successful and you, and you start to, you know, pull back and yeah. yep. back and look back and you just see, like, oh, okay, okay, your dad was this, your mom was this, you had this money, you know, and, and, and again, you still had to do the work, right? You still had to put in the work to, to do, to be successful, right? But, you know, I, I think that a lot of, a lot of the success that we attribute to just a, a personal sort of determination and, and will, that is a part of it, definitely, but you have these people who, you know, were in circumstances that were just very advantageous for them. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's a thing that should be acknowledged whenever yeah. you mention these people as being like these success stories. For sure. Word, word. For sure. So, then we we gonna, we gonna get to what we are calling the epilogue, all right? Where we just okay. gonna ask you, you know, some, some fun quick hitters here. And then we'll we'll let you uh, get back to doing what Damon does. So, uh, tell us some music you've been listening to that you've enjoyed, whether it's a particular album, artist, song, whatever the case may be. I've been listening to a lot of James Blake recently. Hmm. A nice. whole nice. lot of James Blake. Too okay. much James Blake, <laughs> and also, um, what's his name? I always forget his name. Who does the scoring? And all the music for Euphoria. Um, oh. What's his What's this guy's name? Somebody um, in the I, chat. I need to. Yeah, I need to start looking. I'm gonna find it. More. I'm gonna find it. Yeah. Um. Because I'll be watching Euphoria too. But when it when the credits come on, I always fast forward to like the part where they talk about the show afterwards. Labyrinth. His name is Labyrinth. He's a he, he's a brother. Mm. He's a brother. I think he, I think he might be British, but he does all of the all the scoring, all the music for that show. And so nice. I've been listening to a lot of James Blake and a lot of Labyrinth um, recently. Um, so nice. All right, so. I, I like I, I I fuck with Pusha T's new. Um, what was it? What's the name of it? Diet Coke. Yeah, Diet Coke. Missy was the only misdemeanor. Yeah. See, I I. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably been 20 years since he sold crack and he's still writing he's and rounding about yeah. crack. We just and I don't ever want him to stop. I want yeah. him to keep giving us those crack bars. I, I yeah. Mean, I want like him no, to one, no, no one asked fucking um March Scorsese to stop making mob movies because he's great at it. Yeah, right? he's great at it. And Scorsese has a new mob movie. I'm 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 there first day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so Pusha T is talented at rapping about crack. Might be the best of all time. So <laughs> I don't want him to stop. You know, he, he's just really good at it. He found his niche, and I want him to continue on. Yeah. Shout-outs shout to, to that to that fellow Virginia native, Pusha yeah, T. Shout-out to Virginia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great, great guy there. 
tell us a film or some films that you've watched and enjoyed recently or just one that you want to shout out um i um i mean i, I i've been watching Abbott Elementary like everyone else has been. I think that okay. I'm, I'm so happy for Quinta. I think she's yes. you know done an amazing thing yes. with that show. Um I watched uh Southside season two of the Southside um, yes, which which also too. was hilarious. Um yes. really just I, I appreciate I, I love shows that just have like just niggas on them. Yeah. yeah. Niggas, yeah. Niggas yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. I enjoy right. those shows. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um the best show I saw last year, though, in the last year, though, was season two of Love Life. Um, Love Life. Yeah. That's on and, HBO, huh? Yeah, HBO yeah. Max. And it starred William Harper Jackson as, as the lead. And now there are two. I, I want to distinguish. Now, there are two seasons of this show. The first mm-hmm. season stars Anna Kendrick. Okay. Mm-hmm. The actress Anna Kendrick. The second season stars William Harper Jackson. They are not really connected at all. You do not have to watch the first season to watch the second to season. To get in there. Because I have recommended this show to people and they started, and you know, naturally they think, oh, I need to start at season one, episode one. Mm-hmm. And you could do that, but that's not what I'm telling you to do. Like, if you're yeah. going to go out and watch it today, start at season two, episode one, because it it, it depicts black love and just black city life in a way, in black dating, black sex, all of that, in a way that I, I don't think I have seen. In, in a realistic, tactile, and hilarious way that I just don't think I've ever really seen on screen before. Yeah. Nice. Where it felt like, holy shit, this is this is, this I'm not watching a TV show. I'm watching like, some real shit that, 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 that that's happening to real people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about uh, a, a book you recently read and enjoyed? Book I recently read. Um, I'm, I'm going to give, you know, since I'm doing a book talk with her, I'm going to give a shout out to Cole, author Riley. Um, sure. You know, her book just dropped this week. Oh, please, please, please check it out. Yeah. Um, let me think who else. Um, that I've read recently. I'm, I'm looking to the right because that's where some of my books are sitting. And, um, you know, recently oh. is subjective. Like, if it's anything you just... I did a know. book talk uh, with them, A.E. Rooks. Okay. Hmm. okay. And is anyone familiar with The Black Joke? The truth story. Nah, I, I just learned now. Yeah. Okay. So, this is a story about a ship that was a slave ship that was repurposed that that was that was stolen by anti-slave forces and repurposed to be a ship that took down other slave ships. Mm. I had no idea about this history. Like no idea that this that such a thing existed. And Me so is- I did a book talk with 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 them at a uh, Politics and Prose about a, about a month ago. And Again, it's 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 one of those stories where like, yo, why isn't this a movie? Why yeah. hasn't someone created a movie based off of this story? And it was it was a British ship, and they had like a motley crew of of, of crew members of 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 and, and and some of their crew were were enslaved 
were captured Africans who had gotten out and now were a part of the ship's crew. Right. It, it was an amazing story that I had never, ever, ever heard of. Um, and so, and I don't, I don't usually read like historical document, you know, text sort of things. Like I, that's just not the genre of books I'm usually into. I usually read essay stuff and, and memoir um, and, and contemporary like fiction. Um, yeah. But that, that was a really, really, really great read. Yeah, definitely. And uh, this, this here flesh is Cole Arthur Riley's. Uh, this here flesh, by the way. yeah. Just for mm -hmm. um for for just to have that other one out there too. So, the next question I'll ask: Do you? So it's kind of a two parter. Do you reread books? And uh, what is the next book you plan to reread? The last book. Um, Sorry, the book I'm rereading now is uh, a little devil in America. Nice. I'm rereading that now. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I think I think Hanif, um, he like watching him reading his work is like watching Kyrie Irving dribble a basketball. It's mm -hmm. like holy shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. is, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. For real. Um, it's a special dude, man. Yeah, and it's fun. Like I, uh, we did a thing at the Miami uh, Miami Book Fest back in 2019. We were on a, we were on the same panel. And we both, you know, and part of the panel, um, it was just us in conversation with each other. And part of the panel was we had to, you know, read the excerpt from our, from our work. And so I read an excerpt from, you know, what does the kid make you blacker? And then he read an excerpt, I guess that hadn't been published yet, but but was this book, right? But mm -hmm. at that time it hadn't been published yet. And so he's reading this shit. And I'm thinking to myself, like, these niggas set me up having me <laughs> read the same time he's reading because and it is not and I'm not even talking about the writing I'm talking about the performance of the reading because he's a he's a spoken word poet that's where he, he he's done that too yeah so yeah. he has he, he has that also like the performance to read in front of people hitting all the notes hitting you know modulating his voice all of that and so I read my thing which I thought I did a decent job but then he comes on and it's fucking what is it, it my, Am I with Saul Williams right now? Like, yeah, is this, yeah. Am I is am I am I on a panel with Black Thought? <laughs> like, what yeah. is happening right now? Yeah, yeah he <laughs> he's, he he is he's cold, man. All right, so tell us who you would like to see as a guest on Books or Pop Culture. Uh, but this person has to be someone who you would be willing to help us connect with if we reach out. Have you had Brown Broom on? We have not. We have not. We have not. Okay. Boom. Brian Brooke. There it is. Yeah. We yeah. do. Yeah. There is a chapter in that book that we do. I do need to ask a question about because it was. I'd love to hear him. I, yeah. I really want to know about pussy math. I That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> I was with him. I actually, he read that. <laughs> I, we did a thing last, last summer and yeah. he read. You read an excerpt. You read that excerpt. It, it was yeah. Again, it, it yeah. It blew everybody away. Yeah, um, that. yeah. Um, and and also, Disha, have you had Disha? Disha. Philadelphia? Oh yeah, 
on. She was the first guest, actually. Okay. She was yeah. The first guest. Okay. Yeah. So, so with Disha, right? So Disha is like a friend of the show, and that's like not a secret, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like we, I don't think we ever had her technically on. You had her on that. Yeah, you had her on the AMB, the ABMR presents, but we never had her like proper up here. You're right. right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. that's yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put out, I gotta rep my Pittsburghers, my fellow, my fellow Pittsburghers first. Word, even though neither, neither of them live here still, both of them yeah. have gone yeah. on to you know other things, but um, but yeah, I gotta, I gotta get them shout outs. And you and Broom right. are both at the post now too, right? Well, watch, I should say, watch the yeah, post. yeah, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's dope. All right, so um. You know, um, you told us what's next for you, so I'll skip over that. I actually want to share something with you before we let you go, because I told my girlfriend, Kathea, that I would do this, right? So, some time ago, she emailed VSB, right? And it was for, like, my birthday, right? And I would would just love to share it. It's going to be edited for clarity because it's written years ago. (laughs) She's a better writer now. Okay? (laughs) Yeah. I just wanted to reach out to you first and foremost, and I would like to congratulate you all on being featured in the Washington Post and for Damon's book deal. Reggie has already vouched that he will purchase it. I was introduced to VSB via Reggie. We both enjoy and discuss your articles all the time. While he's at work, he will send me endless VSB content prior to coming home so we have topics to talk about. He admires you. Panama Jackson, everyone at the VSB headquarters. I've asked him several times to reach out to you, but I guess he is too shy. So I decided to do it for him since his birthday is around the corner. I wanted to ask if you had any internships opportunities uh, VSB is offering. I would like to give him a thoughtful surprise for his birthday. I know it would mean the world to him if he was able to get in contact with you. I hope this isn't weird. I just want to do something truly thoughtful for him. He has evolved immensely since he began reading VSB. You have made a valuable impact on him. I would like to thank y'all for that. I know you are busy men, and I wish you both the best of luck in all your endeavors. Thank you for your time. Sincerely, Kathea. So I share that with you because this is a beautiful full circle moment in my life. Um, And that's also my way of saying thank you, sir, for taking the time to uh, to, uh, just talk to us tonight. Appreciate it. Uh, wow, that awesome! Uh, that was awesome. I mean, did did yes. either of us reply to that? Unfortunately, well, well, <laughs> well you know what? I, I I knew the answer to that because I knew that we were going to do this six years later. But yeah, you know that's what, what it I'm was. Not reply, yeah, of course. Then of course. we are gonna we we gonna have a podcast, gonna have a show. I'm gonna be yeah. a guest yeah. on it in six years, and then boom, it will be a much better moment yeah. if we could just delay. The gratification for you know for about two thousand days. Yeah, that yeah, is so course, great. Yeah, man. So, <laughs> uh, he he wow. is Damon Young. He's 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 an amazing individual. He this this other guy I'm pointing at. I can't figure out which way to go on the camera. Is Achilles Naziri. I'm Reggie Bailey. This was Books of Pop Culture Day One of Books of Pop Culture Weekend. We will see y'all tomorrow on a Black Man Readings IG Live. Yes, for day yes, two yes. of Books of Pop Culture weekend for Achilles' birthday. And my birthday, yeah. Happy is it to is it to, today, tomorrow? When is it? To, 
it's tomorrow, so we got a few hours. Well, happy, happy early, happy early, man. Yeah, appreciate it, brother. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank, thank y'all for for tuning in, and we will see y'all tomorrow. We'll see you Sunday back on YouTube. Peace, peace. All right. Thanks for having me, everyone.